Hi there, and welcome back to the SMB Cybercast podcast, where it's all about helping small and medium enterprises and IT professionals learn cybersecurity, improve their defenses, and prevent breaches. If you want to take the security of your organization to the next level, then this is the right place for you. Welcome, and thanks for listening. So this is our first podcast episode. Uh, we are really excited. Um, we hope we can help organizations improve their defenses and learn a lot. Um, so we wanted to start giving a, a threat landscape. What are the threats that small enterprises face? Um, a little bit of the history of cyber attacks. So sound good? Sounds good. Let's go and get started. So cyber attacks... Um, Hacking has been around as long as computers have. Um, since computers were around in the 50s and 60s, we started seeing hacking. Um, in the 70s and 80s, we really started seeing cyber attacks as we know them today. Right. Um, so we want to start there and come up to the present. What are How this has evolved and what are the threats these organizations face. Okay, sounds good. Um, so... 70s, 80s, yeah, we started seeing worms, viruses proliferate, uh, being made. Um, then 1986, um, with the Clifford Stoll incident at UC Berkeley, uh, that was one of the first times we saw computers being used for espionage. Um, you remember the ARPANET was formed. Right. That was the early internet for, right. for colleges and universities, and there was some connections to Milnet for the military. Right. So Clifford Stoll worked at UC Berkeley. Um, he was an astronomer. And one of his side jobs was um, handling the computer lab. So the and uh, back at that time, students had to pay for their internet time, and they kept having a deficit on their billing. Billing, um, they were kept being twenty five cents short. I think it was twenty five cents. Um, so Stoll's boss wanted him to investigate and find out what this was all about. This ended up turning into a several month investigation. Um, uh, he ended up having contacting the government because he realized this was espionage. Um, so long story short, what he ended up doing was hooking up printers to each of the terminals in the lab. Um, and when someone would connect, he would do a, a trace, figure out what their IP address was. And then he would start printing out their commands that they were entering into the machines. And he started noticing that this person was checking who else was on the line. Um, they were checking uh, what their um, role was, were they admin or not come and find out this was the person with those charges. So uh, he ended up staying up all night tracing this person down. Um, long story short, it was a German hacker um, who the KGB had recruited. Right. And he was using them as a hopping point onto tr uh, trying to get to military um, servers, right. terminals at that point. Um, so that was the first incident of espionage. And interestingly enough, even way back then, he found a creative way to how to find exactly and record the actions that they were taking. Very interesting. Yeah, and he wasn't even a computer technician. Exactly. He still isn't. Exactly. And that's you know another interesting thing about that. So. Um, so then in the late 80s, we saw the Morris worm. So again, this was before the um, .NET. WWW. Um, this was the ARPANET still. Right. Um, the Morris Worm was actually one of the government officials' sons created the <laughs> Morris Worm. Um, he was doing an experiment and he wanted to see how large the ARPANET was. Right. And so he wrote his worm um, to attack these machines. Um, and he thought he could keep it under control because 
um, every seventh machine, it would come and see um, if the worm was already installed. Right. If it was already installed, it would leave it alone. And then every seventh machine, it would just skip. So he thought he could keep under control. So he launched this in the evening. I think before he went to dinner is what the story is. Um, by the time he got back, he knew he had like taken down half the internet and he was in trouble. Oh, no. um, his name was Robert Morris. Um, so by morning, most of the ARPANET was down, not functioning. Um, so this was a worm. This was an uh, early attack method. Um, a funny story on that one was Robert Morris Sr. Was, I believe he worked at the NSA. Okay. Um, so when they contacted him, when they finally found this worm and they said it was uh, the name Robert Morris was in it, <laughs> did he know anything about that? He said, yes, my son did it. <laughs> um, I think he got off with probation. but So by this point, we see the damage that could be done with worms exactly. and viruses. Exactly. And again, interestingly enough, it starts off with either, well, either maliciously or curiosity. You know? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. That's what a lot of hacking back in these days was, was curiosity. Right. People right. want to see what they could do. Right. Um, there was some defacement, um, those kinds of attacks, but it was really more for um, bragging rights, right. not for money. Right. As it changed to later. And I, I guess that's the leap you're about to make right now. It's what you just said as far as the defacement, bragging rights. Just kind of see how far which you can, how far you can go, what you can get away from, what you can do. Then back, again, back at that point, it was just all about bragging rights to say, "Hey, look at me! I put my patch here. I did this," and people would get their notoriety or their their five minutes of fame or whatever. Right. So, 1990s, um, we started seeing a lot more espionage happening. Um, so that um, this is when we saw the incidents of Moonlight Maze. Right. Um, there was several others. Uh, that was one of the most well known. When we saw the Russians right. um, trying to get into mil- military installations, we saw uh, Chinese trying to get into our installations. Right. And if if we could, let's take a step back a little bit because in 1987, um, that was the first antivirus company. Yes. And which company was that? There's some controversy over who the first antivirus company was. Okay. Um, so there's uh, three companies that are among the first. Um, there was Creeper. Um, there was the creeper worm. So the uh, creeper antivirus. Right. Um, and then there was another one. I believe their name was Virus Scan. Um, so some of the controversy is which ones were sold and which ones were just fixes that people found and were giving to their friends. Right. I and mean, then shortly thereafter, we saw, of course, McAfee right. uh, came to the scenes. Right. But the reason this is significant is we see the, the, uh, the progression that there's obviously uh, people recognizing something has to be done about this. That's exactly, that's the point I want to make because like you said, you, now we have the malicious attacks, then we had the curiosity, but now here's the recognized form that, wait a minute, we have to, and also you can think about it, there was probably some marketing there too, hey, we have right. potential profit here. <laughs> With this comp- advancement of computers, there has to be a, a software to stop these attacks or prevent or, or block or whatever, so you have the antivirus companies starting to be born or developed at this time. Okay, go ahead. Along with that, so kind of as we see, as computers progress, security has to progress along with it. Um, I mean, we see that with quantum computers now. So now the question now is, we've got quantum computers, how are we going to encrypt and keep things secure? Right. Which that's a whole other thing we didn't even bring into the discussion was the um, advance of cryptography. Right. Um, and now also with secu- as security was advancing, um, the comment you made, and I want to kind of point that out for our listeners, is that as security 
as the security landscape, it's always on the. I hate to say the second end. Yeah. After trailing it, edge. It's, it's a trailing edge. And it, it trended like that for a while, even in the small business. I've looked back over my years and everything. Security is almost always one step ahead. One step, excuse me, one step behind a little bit. Um, so to finish up our evolution of tax, um, so we see espionage in the 90s. And we, we saw the late 90s, early 2000s. We did, did start seeing a lot of viruses. Um, viruses, computers, but at that time, again, there were mostly destruction. There wasn't a whole lot of profit in viruses. Right. And then early 2000s and a little bit later is when we really started seeing carding uh, become popular. Um, so there's different forms of carding. Um, of course, there's the skimmer kind that goes on your ATM, say, right. um, or a gas pump. Um, but we started seeing a lot of hackers going after um, credit card information. Brian Krebs has done some interesting research on carding um, and how that played along uh, with the Russians, um, how they led the um, carding uh, arena and how that went along with a lot of their other scams that they were working on. So carding really ran wild out of hand for quite a few years until law enforcement got it under control. Um, it's still going on, but it's definitely a lot more under control than it was. And I would say a lot, of, a lot of the carters and other groups like that, you know, they were born out of these hackers yeah. testing and trying things. And now we move into devices, you know, using components that back then you would find in Radio Shop, right. Radio Shack and things like that. So it's starting to branch out at that time frame to get more into uh, devious and um, making money off of it Start, instead of being more malicious. I think around that time, we also started seeing the use for hackers. Right. Um, of course, we have the Cult of the Dead Cow that started in the late 80s, right. a famous hacking group. Right. Um, and then we had Mudge, um, he, his hacking group. Uh, I forgot what they were called, the attic or something of that nature. Okay. Um, here in the U.S., um, they end up being found by the law enforcement. They testified before Congress, and um, he actually went on to work for the government for quite a while. So at this time, we started seeing hackers were useful. Um, we could take their skills and turn it uh, for good. Okay, so that wraps up the evolution, unless you have anything else to add. No, no. Uh, so, yeah, that wraps up the evolution. So now... Um, let's talk about some of the modern threats, the threat landscape facing all organizations, but let's look at SMB specifically. Right. So there's lots of uh, reports you can use. Um, Potemann Institute puts out an annual uh, study. Uh, Verizon report comes out annually. Semantic comes out annually. And if you track these reports, you can see um, over time. Um, what are the most common attacks? Um, what organizations are the are they going after the most? Which ones are the least secure, et cetera? Um, so those are interesting, and we'll provide links to some of those in the show notes right. um, at cyberx.tech slash podcast. Right. Uh, you can get those show notes. So probably one of the most obvious threats everybody knows about now is ransomware. Exactly. Ransomware has been around for a while, but I would say... After 2010 or so is when we really started seeing it take off. Yeah. After that time frame, it got really, I would say, I hate to keep using the word malicious, but really malicious. Yeah, it kind of got out of hand. Of course, it was around before that, but it really kicked in high gear then. Using Symantec's report just from 2018, um, enterprise or organization ransomware has been up 12%. Right. Mobile ransomware has also been up 33%, which is uh, quite remarkable. 
But overall, last year, the ransomware attacks did go down. You know, and as far as the mobile ransomware, that makes sense, though, because, again, hackers, they're not dumb. They're smart because there's a lot of mobile devices out there in the world, you know, so you're going to attack where the playing field is the biggest. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's why we see a lot the a lot of um, viruses coming out for Macs now. Right. Um, right. Initially, there wasn't much money to be made attacking Macs. Right. Now there is. So we see them attacking them a lot more. Um, and going back to what you're as far as on the, the ransomware itself, I remember way back when working in organizations when the first ransomware started coming out, it was more of like locking down files, you know, instead of, you know, the entire computer or your network. And at that point, you know, yeah, there was viruses before then, but that was the, the stage where it's like, oh, this is serious because here is somebody. A foreign entity that's in my computer or touched my computer or sent something to my computer and they quote hand me at gunpoint saying you give me this and I'll give you your files back so that was a real that that's when viruses and threats became personal so this episode is more about threats so we're not going to get into defenses but back up back up back up exactly if you have a backup you're going to likely do pretty well after ransomware attack and because yes check them periodically because statistically you aren't really even guaranteed even if you do pay that you're going to get your files back that's exactly right because if i am locking your computer down i'm, I'm untrustworthy <laughs> so it doesn't make me that i'll give you your files back um so on a recent example of this was the baltimore ransomware attack mm-hmm. um, that's the most recent probably that made big news so let's talk about that a minute sure so the baltimore ransomware attack very interesting it used the eternal blue vulnerability. Um, you remember the eternal, the eternal blue vulnerability um, was part of the NSA tools that were leaked and the shadow brokers right. leak. Right. That was back in 2017. Um, that was a zero day with the SMB version one, which we're at SMB version three now. Right. Um, I think SMB v1 stopped being used with Windows 7 at the end. Right. Might have even been XP, something around like that. So organizations should not even be using SMB v1, but some are, unfortunately. So Turner Blue attacked the SMB v1. It used a total of three vulnerabilities, but that was the main one. Okay. It uses to do a buffer overflow attack to um, get the malicious code to execute. Okay. So the reason this is important what it used the eternal blue vulnerability was that was patched by microsoft in 2017 (laughs) this is 2019 (laughs) and we see baltimore the city of baltimore being that's how they got in right right that's what we know so far and if i and you know at that point well at this moment you can say you can stop there but so in layman's terms (laughs) what that means is you need to patch you need to stay up to date exactly it's one of the biggest things you can do for cybersecurity. Right. Patch your systems. Right. Um, patch uh, Windows updates should not be annoying. That should be looked at as a good thing. They're coming for a reason. You know, in other podcasts, we'll talk about more about SMBs, um, what they can do. But, you know, to kind of segue a little bit, you know, and that's where the SMBs will. We need to kind of step it up a little bit with the patches and on time updates and so forth because that's where a lot of these are are catching people so go ahead and 
So let's clarify what SMB version one is, just sure. in case we have some listeners who don't know. Good. So that is server messaging block. And that is essentially how your computer talks to um, how files and uh, the computer and the server talk and handle file exchanges. So that's what SMB is. And if you break that down a little bit further, file, sending files to your server, receiving and sending. Exactly. It happens every day on every SMB network. Constantly. Yeah. If you ever do a trap, uh, network traffic capture, you see tons of SMB traffic. So, Everyday activities. This is it's vulnerable. So go ahead. So yeah, that was patched in 2017, and that's how the attackers got in. Okay. So the initial demand was seventy six thousand dollars. That's what the ransom was. Seventy six thousand. So the present estimate is that by the end of the year, they will have spent eighteen point two million dollars on this ransomware attack. <laughs> and explain that. Break that down. So some of that is. A lost or delayed t- revenue, right? Because they have they've been completely down. Nothing has worked. Essentially, right. most things have not worked. Uh, they got some things back up, but they were pretty well down. Um, some of that is because they had to pay a forensic team to come in. They had right. to pay a disaster recovery team to come in, right? And then restoring and bringing their systems back up, right? Um, because they decided not to pay the ransom, right? Um, so. A $76,000 ransom, it seems to me uh, they could have come up with a pretty good backup budget with that $76,000. Yeah, and you hate to think about that after the fact, but, you know, here you go. It's $76,000 plus all those other items that you mentioned. And it's not fun going through that. You know, having not at all. Personally, you know, something to that extent back working with an SMB, it's not fun going through that. But if you look at everything and all the time and effort and money that you spent, yeah, it's well over that. Okay, so. Um, next type of attack we see a lot right now is crypto jacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really came with the advent of cryptocurrency. So Semantics Research, uh, with their annual report, they blocked 69 million crypto jacking attempts in 2018. Crypto jacking has been slightly down in 2018, but I think that had a lot to do with the dip in the value of cryptocurrency. Um, if you go and look at cryptocurrency overall, 2018, it mostly dropped and uh, it has started coming back up. Right. So I'm sure we're going to see crypto jacking taken off again. Right. Um, I mean, so as far as the cryptocurrency goes, so like Monero, uh, one cryptocurrency, its value dropped um, 90%, but crypto jacking only dropped about 52% last year. Okay. So that shows there is still some value in it. So crypto jacking, just to make it clear, is essentially where attackers, they use your system to mine cryptocurrency. Um, So a very simplified um, explanation of cryptocurrencies, the way it works is you have to break these encryption algorithms. And when you break these algorithms, it generates crypto money, right? So people who mine cryptocurrency, their machines, this is very um, CPU intensive. So their machines work on these calculations. um, And when they break them, they get to keep a percentage of the money that they add to the cryptocurrency um, money pool, so to speak. So that's why these attackers are doing that, because they can make money off of it. Um, So like all of these, we see the big shift now is money focused. That's correct. So I think we'll see that rise this year, probably. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people into crypto mining. Right. Okay, so the next type of attack we're going to talk about is malicious apps. Okay. Um, we've seen quite a few of those in the last year. 
Um, so we uh, these are these are apps. They usually look legitimate on the Play Store. There's even some found on the App Store. I mean, a lot on third-party app stores. So, like the Minecraft app. Right. There was a completely uh, bogus, malicious Minecraft app um, that was around. See, with Minecraft, you can't actually get the you get the main app at this uh, on the App Store. Right. But that's just a shell. That's correct. To get all the components, you have to go to a third-party app store. I mean, even last year we saw where the third-party app store got um, hijacked, and they. And playing at malicious updates. Right. Uh, and then just a couple months ago, we we had the um, spying app that was found right. spying on people. There's been apps um, that, again, on the money thing, uh, trying to make money, they would um, show advertisements. They were they were fraudulent um, advertisements. They were breaking policies um, of the ad companies, but they were using it to make money. Okay. Um, so that's malicious apps again. Why is this a threat for business, small businesses particularly? Um, I think with small businesses, we don't see as much of a delineation between personal and corporate like we do in some of the larger enterprises. Sure. Um, there's a lot more BYOD, bring your own device. That's correct. Um, typically, they don't have highly segment, segmented Wi-Fi networks, for example. Correct. You've got. Uh, employees of these companies using their devices on the corporate network. Right. I mean, I think overall, we see that the old approach to cybersecurity, the castle and moat, just doesn't work anymore. Um, especially once we started going to cloud. The so instead of a castle with one door now, we've got a castle with ten doors. Right. Uh, data is going in and out of your organization so many ways. Uh, a traditional firewall just doesn't cut it anymore. That's correct. And there's a lot more, a lot more apps now being used yeah. in the workplace, social media, and all of that. It's all converging and mixing now. So the small business, the SMB, is um, like you said, it's it's not your traditional network, but it's it's easier for it's more of a mesh. Yes, that's right, more of a mesh. So therefore, it's more more open doors. And that's why malicious apps, for example, is so important. Even if they're not corporate phones, right. uh, they, I mean, even you've got most employees use their mail on their phones. So, uh, if you're dealing with uh, regulated industries, say healthcare, uh, you've got PHI protected health information in your email on your phone. You've got a malicious app crosses a bridge, starts get, taking data. Then what? Now you've got a breach That's because right. of a Minecraft on your phone. That's right. And if you look at the landscape of how it's changed over the years. Because if you think back, you know, you had the hackers, they hacked the physical network. That was the network piece. Now you have the hacking in the programming itself of apps, of bogus apps, just for the, the very purpose of hacking or a malicious activity for revenue, for, 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 for gain. So the landscape has changed over the years. And the way they get in has changed. Yes. Um, we, uh, we talked about that in our last article on our blog. Right. Um, you can go look at that www.cyberx.tech slash blog. Um, so our last article was on social engineering. Right. So an interesting t- statistic is 97% of attacks use social engineering at, at some point in the attack. Humans are the easiest way in. Yeah. Whether that's getting a human to download an app, um, phishing, the uh, point of entry is changing. And again, with this um, distributed network, there's so many more points of entry now where a human can make the mistake. Right. Um, and then a 
it's been around, but we've really seen it a lot lately is the form jacking where attackers will use malicious JavaScript and they'll insert that into a website and they'll start stealing payment card data that way. We saw that with Newegg last year. Right. Um, the, uh, what was the name of that uh, hacking group? Magcart, Magcart. Um, they, they attacked quite a few um, websites in a couple month period. Um, so you've got small organizations that are doing e-commerce. This is a big threat for you. Um, again, we're starting to get into compliance with PCI if you're compliant with that. Right. So semantics research showed that there were about 4,800 um, form jacking compromises a month in 2018. And by the end of the year, that was going up. And why do they want this data? Um, Car data is valuable on the dark uh, underground markets. Um, so credit cards have recently been found selling for as much as $45 a piece on underground markets. Um, now, again, a lot of that value has to do with how much data they have with it. Do they have the um, just the number, the, the CVC code? Do they have billing address? And based on how much they have is the, how much how more how valuable it is. Um so again, with these form jacking, if you think about the way e-commerce works, usually you're putting in a billing address at that point. Correct. So if they're stealing that, they're getting everything. They've got your name, billing address. A lot of key pieces of your information. And again, taking a step back and looking at the overall scheme of things, um, no longer do we have the, I'm the hacker and I just want your credit card. So let me see what I can buy myself. But now I'm selling your information on the dark web in bulk. So this is, becoming an enterprise in itself nowadays. That's how serious it is. And again, that's a a big vulnerability for small businesses, um, especially if they're doing e-commerce. Right. Um, if you're not patching your websites, patching your plugins, and all those kinds of things that you're using. And more importantly, or, not, or just the same as training your individuals, your employees. Yeah. Uh, and then another threat we see a lot now is IOT. So the reason IOT is so vulnerable is it's usually embedded systems. Right. Um, we've got Linux embedded, sometimes Windows embedded, but they don't get patched. We might get some firmware patches, but it's not regular patches like we see with Windows, Mac, those kinds of systems. And they're much more vulnerable because of that. Right. And we've seen a ton of botnets recently. Um, the Mirai botnet. Right. Um, there's a new one they've just found. These these uh, botnets have millions of devices under their control that they could use to attack any system when they want. Um, they get in by a worm. They're just crawling the internet. And they find these IoT devices that are put on the internet. Um, and they take them over. And they sit dormant until they're ready for use. So what are the devices these are on? In 2018... Cameras and routers were the most infected devices in the these IoT botnets, um, with cameras being making up about fifteen percent. Um, then we also see other smart devices. Uh, nowadays, your refrigerators are connected to the internet. Um, as the move for IoT moves forward, everything's connecting to the internet, and that's more points of entry into your network. Everything's convenient and easy. Make it more convenient and easy. The IoT devices, your heat and air, your lights, your outdoor lights, your sprinkler system, all of that. Um, just be careful because convenient and easy sometimes open doors. 
And we, we even saw that with the uh, casino that got hacked. Right. How did the attackers get in? They got in through a uh, thermometer in the fish tank that was connected to the Wi-Fi. Um, that thermometer was an IoT device on the Internet. They got in and they hopped over, took out the casino. Right. Um, and again, so this is a big threat for small businesses because... Um, especially the really small businesses, less than 10 employees or um, those kind of businesses. Um, they don't have a dedicated IT staff at all, usually. Um, and these systems are not segmented at all. Attackers have continually evolved their phishing uh, methods. Um, I even recently saw a pretty clever phishing um, email. So the attacker used a Microsoft form. Okay. So this is a legitimate website. There's nothing wrong with the website. It is legitimate. Okay. You come to the Microsoft form and the form is made to look like you need to log in. Okay. So the Microsoft alleged air quote form is a login box. Right. So you put your logins into this form and then they have your username and password. (laughs) So unfortunately in that organization, the user put in their credentials and then the rest of the survey didn't work and they contacted um, IT who escalated to us and sure enough, it was phishing. Ouch. So gone are the days that you get a seasonal email around the holidays. Um, Normally in the past, we would see an increase of those malicious emails. They look somewhat suspicious, but some people still click in the interim. So gone are those days because they're getting more sophisticated now. Yes, so User training is super, super important. Yes, very. So like we said, with social engineering being used in 97% of attacks, just think if you put your budget, um, some of your IT budget into security, training your users, you could reduce a lot of vulnerability for your uh, the risk for your organization. Right. That's correct. And then we see uh, malicious emails a lot. Uh, a lot of this is some of it is spray attacks where they send these mass emails out. Um, but we're starting to see a lot more um, spear phishing. Um, more targeted. Targeted, targeted yeah. emails. Targeted attacks. And the same goes with malicious emails, with uh, malicious attachments that are running PowerShell scripts, um, macros, and documents. Um, there's a, Some of times there's the attackers are so bold as to say, um, you have to run this macro. Um, or you have to have this version of PDF viewer and they give you a link to, of course, a malicious one. Right. Um, so, again, user training is super, super important. Um, you can stop a lot of this. Right. Because a lot of these attackers are really they're doing their homework, learning about you and your organization, you know, through emails or whatever. So when they come with these spearing attacks, you know, they, they, they know what they're going for. So user education is very, very important. Before we wrap it up. I want to take a break and say that this podcast is sponsored by CyberX. So if your organization needs any assistance with your cybersecurity, um, managed security, we provide managed security services, uh, managed firewalls, compliance, um, building out a cybersecurity program, user training, any of that. Uh, we are here to help you uh, and you can contact us www.cyberx.tech slash contact, fill out the form and we will get one of our we will get one of our team members in contact with you very shortly. So let's wrap up talking about what these hackers want. So there's really a few broad categories that we see what the attackers are after. Right. Um, 
they want to exploit data. That's number one. And what we mean by exploit data is if I can find out, okay, so you, we hear from a lot of organizations, I don't have anything the attackers want. Well, if you have employees, you likely have HR data, right? Right. And that is valuable to an attacker. That's correct. Because they can exploit that data and then they can use that in other ways. Um, maybe they use your identity for insurance fraud. Right. Or they sell your identity on the underground markets. Right. Um, so that's exploitation of data. Right. And that's what we see with a lot of these breaches where all this data is exfiltrated, taken out of the network. Um, the attackers are just taking the data and then they sort through it and decide what's best for what later. Right. And most of the time with those large breaches, they're just middlemen. They're taking the data and selling it to someone else. Unless you're working with um, the government or one of the organizations in the critical infrastructure, um, healthcare, power, those kinds of organizations. Then, even if you are small, you could very well be a uh, leapfrog type target where they're going to use you to get to someone more valuable. Right. Um, like we saw with the Target breach um, back in 2013. They got into Target using the HVAC company. Um, again, so like we talked about, ransomware. Um, that's another big threat. That's one thing that the attackers want. They want to ransom your data, data and they want payment. Um, along with that, I will add in, even though they are encrypting your data, unless you do an investigation, you cannot be assured they actually did not take your data. Correct. They could have taken all of your data and be pilfering and selling that while they uh, hold it for ransom and they're getting double payment. That's correct. Um, so the other reason the attacker might attack your organization is they they want to steal your infrastructure. Um, the first thing that comes to mind with this was the uh, Russian pharma. Um, early, early to mid 2000s, uh, 2008, 9, 10, that time frame, uh, we really saw this. Um, Brian Krebs wrote a book on it. Um, we saw the Russians that would hack websites and they would use those uh, to post ads for their um pharmaceuticals they were selling all illegal um, but that is uh, one method we see a lot where attackers will attack your infrastructure because they want to use it right. um, that's a lot of times what we see with websites your website gets hacked it's usually pointing to some uh, either malicious site or somewhere they're gonna they're making money off of ads or they're selling something that's right. and the final thing that the broad category that attackers want is denying service. Uh, we see this with hacktivists, um, which hacktivism has been on the decline. Doesn't mean it's gone. Um, we see these botnets being formed. Um, they're going to use them for something. Right. And that's denying, usually is denying service right. when the time comes right for them. So denying service, we're talking about like denial of service or distributed denial of service. So denial of service is essentially where um, a computer or a server can only take so much communication at a time. So if my maximum capability is I can talk to a thousand machines at once, um, so what a denial of service does, or a distributed denial of service actually, and this what I'm explaining, is it'll take 10,000 computers and bombard you with traffic so that... For multiple different locations. Yeah, you can't even function and it just uh, gives up. So in layman's terms, this would be um, if a thousand people tried calling 
some organization at once. Um, say you're trying to call and make a pizza order. A thousand people call um, per second. Someone's going to get through, but most people are not because it's bombarded. So that's what a um, denial of service is. And this is a threat that all organizations face. Right. Um, it does. This is not just big organizations. This is not controversial organizations. This is any organization. You never know um, what you are doing that someone doesn't like, and they right. could use this to attack you. It's very simple to do. Um, you can rent botnets on the under underground for very cheap. That's correct. And this could also be a competitor. Uh, and it has been known to happen. Yeah, that unethical way. competitors, yeah. Yeah, unethical competitors. So. Um, so an example of this was last year, year before, um, there was a hospital. They got, uh, they were treating um, a patient. It was part of a um, controversial um, subject. Got on the news. Um, the parents wanted the child treated one way. Um, the medical professional did not want to do it that way. And it made news. Well, someone saw that and didn't agree with what the parent, the hospital was doing, and they launched a DDoS attack. There you go. So you never know who at your hospital is being treated, who your organization is doing business with that someone doesn't like, right. and they want to retaliate. That's right. So all uh, organizations face this threat. We've talked about the evolution of threats, how it's progressed, and then we looked at some of the... Um, threats facing organizations today anything we forgot um i think we pretty much covered it you know um the the evolution as far as the threats the bragging rights the uh, just the diabolical maliciousness then it turned for financial gain um now it's a a multi-million close probably billion dollar industry um selling your information multiple ways um it's it's Definitely, definitely progressed. Um, so it's not anything to take lightly for small businesses, SMBs. You really have to start, stay ahead of the game, stay ahead of the bad guys, training your people, um, being aware of what's out there, and making sure you're protected and covered. And before we close, I want to say um, you can get the show notes at www.cyberx.tech podcast. I mean, if you go to this episode, you can get the show notes with all the links to the um, reports that we've discussed um, and some of the organizations that can help you um, with these threats. So that's it for today. Great. We'll see you next time. And that's the SMB Cybercast podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please check out our other white papers, roadmaps, and webcasts at www.cyberx.tech slash resources and our blog at www.cyberx.tech slash blog. We have lots of guides and roadmaps to help you improve your cybersecurity program. Go check us out and we'll see you next episode.